All right. Well, welcome into the wrap-up episode of what we have called the Summer Series on my book, Bring It. I really, really appreciate it if you have been listening along throughout this whole thing, and I really do hope and pray, uh, more than anything, pray that this has blessed you and benefited you. Um, Whether you bought the book or not, I don't care. I'd love it if you did. I do think it would help you and uh, show you some good things, but if you've listened along to the conversations... I take that as a huge win, and I do hope that it has blessed you. It has blessed me to go through this um, and have some guests and have some conversations and, and just kind of remember this season of my life that was so mm-hmm. formative for my ministry and uh, so formative for um, just a lot of things, my theology, my um, yeah, my family, just so many things. So in light of that, um, this is Chapter 6. It's called Closing the Gap. And I was going to do this one solo, uh, but as I was reviewing and stuff, I thought, why would when you have a good thing going, why would you quit? I always say, like, when I'm on stage with other worship musicians, almost always who are more talented than me, I say, if LeBron James is on your team, why the heck wouldn't you pass him the ball? Why would you keep the ball? That's the dumbest thing ever. So uh, anyways, my wife is joining me for the wrap-up because we're going to tell you a quick story um, about our daughter, Charlie Joe and her very grand entrance into this world, and just a lot of the things we learned through that um, through that season and how it ended up being chapter six of this book, because it really was this reminder of God's goodness and his uh, favor over our life. And there were some really scary moments. Um, and so anyways, I will... Would you say hello, Aaron? Hello. And do you want to kick off this story since you were... I was involved, but you were committed, that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> sure. And you can kind of explain, yeah, how that went. Like maybe how uh, you were 12 weeks pregnant and didn't even know it with her. And, okay. you know, maybe like start there. Okay. How old her, her older right. brother, you know, all those things. So we laugh. Actually, we call our second and third um, children the 2016s. Quint came up with that because they actually both have a birthday within the same year of 2016. So our not just anyone can achieve that. No, that takes special skill and talent. So our second son, Preston, was born on February 13th of 2016. That's not true. April 13th. Oh, I'm sorry. We have two other kids in February. He's not one of them. I do know my son's birthday. April 13th. April 13th. I was in my mind saying 413, so it was right, but I said February. April 13th of 2016, and probably the next, like, I don't know, six to almost 12 weeks, Quint, I mean, I was like really scattered all over the place, but I mean, I was mother of two now. That was a really hard transition for me as a mom because Preston cried constantly. And I really, it took me a long time to get the balance of juggling two children at once. I was very um, involved with Anderson. And so it, it took me a lot to figure out how to divert that constant stream of attention that was always on him now into two two paths. And so I really chalked it up to like, I'm just really tired and scattered. And Quint kept telling me, I bet you're pregnant. I think you're pregnant. And I was like, oh no, definitely not. Well, finally I decided, okay, I'm going to take a pregnancy test. And sure enough, he was right. I was pregnant. And then when we went to the sonogram to figure out how far along I was, I was already almost 12 weeks. And so he and I just looked at each other at that sonogram appointment and just started laughing because we were like, oh, my word, this is ridiculous. 
Yes. So if you're keeping score at home, Preston was roughly 17 <laughs> weeks old when we found that out. I'm being generous, maybe 16 weeks old. And so we pretty much found out and put it on Facebook the next day because we were like, nah. First trimester done. Yeah, we're, we're <laughs> like, it'll be 13 weeks on Tuesday. So so uh, that it, so my pregnancy with Charlotte is by far, it would have been my shortest pregnancy anyway, but it was like literally only 12 weeks of knowing I was pregnant or just maybe just over that 14 weeks. Um, but anyway, so we were like, okay, well, this is exciting. We're going to have two kids 10 months apart. And then I woke up on early in the morning on December 5th of 2016. And I was knew something was up. I woke Quinn up and I'm like, I think something's wrong. I, I think my water may have broken, which I had not had that experience with either of my others. So I just was like, I don't know what's going on. So he's like, well, you need to call our midwife because that's why we pay her, you know, so we can talk to her. So, but it was four in the morning. I feel awful for my midwife because she's up for births all, all hours of the night. And I'm like, I don't want to call her if I'm not in labor. He's like, you need to call her. So I call her and she, I can tell by her voice that she thinks something is wrong. So she says, yeah, um, I think you need to, to go to the hospital and you need to confirm if your water is broken. So I have to call my parents in the middle of the night. They come and stay with our boys. We go to the hospital. Sure enough, tests reveal that, yes, my water's broken. And then it was a whirlwind of activity because pretty much the little hospital that we went to in our town can't have, they don't have a NICU. And so they pretty much said to us, you know, we're, we're going to try to hold off labor, but we don't know if we're going to be successful. And if you were to have the baby here or you, she would have to be shipped immediately to Buffalo and then you would be stuck here and she'd be there and we want to keep you together. So they readied me for an ambulance and they moved me, um, 90 minutes away to Buffalo, New York. And so that whole time, Quinn and I are under the assumption that like our daughter is coming today on December 5th. And, you know, she would have been just under 28 weeks at the time. I was like 27 weeks, five days when all this happened. So, you know, we're terrified. I'm in the ambulance alone because he's not allowed to go with me. He's following in the car. We're my parents are with the boys and I just, I mean, I don't remember much honestly about all that other than that. It was just extremely terrifying because I assumed that I was going to have a baby that day and I was so not ready, but then we get to Buffalo, they admit me and then they are like, well, we think we've like successfully, at least for now, staved off labor. And I'm like, okay, kind of like, so I can go home now. And they're like, oh no, 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 no. Your water's broken. Like you're very susceptible to infection and you have to stay here now. And it was kind of a, wait, what? That had never even entered my mind that that scenario was going to happen. I assumed I was going to have a baby in the NICU by the end of the day, or I was going to get to go home and be with my boys and my husband. And instead I was told, no, you have to stay here at the hospital 90 minutes from your home and um, until she comes or until you're full term, pretty much. And that that honestly for me was the hardest part of that whole experience was those 10 days that I was hospitalized waiting for Charlie to come, trying to keep her in. And I'm so grateful that we had those 10 days as hard as they were because they were able to give me steroid shots for her lungs and... I was able to wrap my mind around the fact that I wasn't going to deliver her at home like I had with my boys and that she was going to come in the hospital. She was going to be early, most likely. Um, but still, that oh, I still can't some think of some of those days with Anderson coming to the hospital at just two and a half years old and Preston at 
eight months and me, you know, holding them and trying to make everything seem normal when everything was really abnormal. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. It, it, there's a lot. Uh, and I've said this in like sermons I've given and stuff. But like if I go to the hospital in the winter time, it's like instant flashback. Any hospital, not even. I mean, if I go to Buffalo in the winter time. Yeah. And if I go to that hospital in the winter time in Buffalo, like all, all bets are off. But. It's like borderline PTSD just because of like how unreal, just like that was, it was a surreal experience. And I know in going through it, we found out so many people have had surreal experiences yes. with their, yeah. their births and their kids and et cetera, et cetera. But this is not a birthing podcast. No. <laughs> so this is about our book, my book, Bring It, um, and this idea of closing the gap. And so really kind of how I wrapped up, uh, how I felt God was leading me to like wrap up this whole concept of finding our confidence and the one who created confidence was sharing this very personal story and explaining that ultimately I believe um, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Uh, do not abandon what you started, God, right? Like that's the verse, Psalm 138.8, that we based all this on. And I really feel like that season of our life, that 60-day, 70-day window was like us walking out this book, like this whole concept of like, we just trusted God's going to perfect this situation that absolutely concerns us. Like it was craziness. And so um, to tell you, just to kind of like, little less detail just to kind of tell you how things shook out uh aaron was in room 612 for nine days yeah and then charlie came two pounds 12 ounces if you've ever held an aquafina bottle just imagine little tiny arms and legs attached to it and that's how big she was it was surreal um and so then we went back to aaron's room around probably 2 a.m so she was born at like 1 p.m., I yeah, think it was. And um, probably like 2 a.m., middle of the night, we were finally able to go see her in the NICU. Kind of got the rigmarole of like, this is how the NICU works. Here's your wristbands. Here's your this. You can come whenever you want. Visitors have to come with you, et cetera, et cetera. It was, uh, it was pretty crazy and uh, learned a lot, had a lot of opportunities to show grace because there was a lot of, yeah, anytime we change her room, we'll tell you. 55 days later, she'd change rooms a lot of times, and we never We'd got a phone call. We'd walk in and just, she'd be gone. We'd walk into the <laughs> wrong room, so we're <laughs> yeah. seeing everybody else's kids, and we're like, where's Charlie Joe? And they're like, oh, we moved her over to X. And this isn't to throw that hospital under the bus, but at the end of the day, like, um, and I mean, if you've ever gone through that experience, the bigger and sturdier your kid gets, the more mobile they are. They're, they're hooked up to less stuff, so they'll... Those are the easy ones to move to a different room. Yeah. So by the end, it was like every day she was in a different room. Um, so anyways, just stuff like that that was just really bizarre. Uh, some weird, just some weird, hard moments that really challenged us as parents, challenged us as believers, challenged us to uh, show grace and to trust God to work all things out. And so... Um, so that is really the heart uh, behind this chapter and this idea of closing the gap. In fact, I defined it as, or I, I explain that I've heard the definition for frustration as the gap between expectation and results. And that's why I named this closing the gap, because I feel like 
if your expectation of God is one thing mm-hmm. and your result is another, then you will experience frustration in this life. And that's not his heart for you. And that's not his heart for, um, you know, for anything. He wants you to know who he is, to know what he's about. And then you will experience results in light of that. That's not to say you're always always going to get what you want. What it is to say is that you you will hopefully have a deeper and greater understanding of why things happen the way that they do, and you won't have to live uh, with a level of frustration. So that's really the idea behind it. Um, and so we didn't know that everything was going to just work out perfect and work right. out great, and we saw some really hard things during that season at the NICU. We saw... Um, things that just rattled us and uh, talked to other families. In fact, Aaron, um, I think just one or two doors down from you when you were staying there, um, you know, their goal really, they told Aaron if she could stay. So this was like right before Christmas. This all happened December 5th. And Charlie wasn't due till Valentine's Day. Yeah. And they pretty much told her like, hey, if we can keep you here with that baby on the inside till Valentine's Day, we'll do it. And she was we like, like no. what? Like, no, 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 no. Um, but there was a girl just a couple doors down who had that experience. She had been there been like... There six weeks or something. Yeah. And so not to say that only nine days and then your baby has to live in the NICU's better. It's just like anything can happen in those scenarios. I guess it was what we learned. And like yeah. it could have gone the other way. And so, I mean, we spent Christmas Day or a good part of it in the NICU. That was super hard. Um just, you know, so many, so many things. And um, so I think that, I guess my, let me zoom out to kind of the pastor view of this and like what I would want you to take away from this conversation. I really would would want you to know that that God is only good. And I've seen so many times, in fact, a couple weeks ago, we did that podcast uh, that I, I took a break from this to share a special episode, Where is God in this Pandemic? And we talked about on that podcast, did God send COVID-19? Is this um, the wrath of God unleashed on the world for countless sins and for, is this the wrath of God released on, uh, unleashed on America for um, countless sins and carelessness and um, a callousness to abortion or to any other polarizing topic uh, that involves sin and normalization and just all these things. And honestly, we didn't take a hard and fast stance on that podcast because I don't think that's um, any of our place to do. What I will say, what I believe the Bible clearly shows us is that when God got done with everything at the end of creation, he said it was good. His intentions for all of us was good, right? And then mankind fell, and the result of that is we live in a broken, just messed up world full of heartache, full of disease, full of struggles, full of all these different things. I don't believe that they are all sent from God. I believe that multiple places Jesus says that Satan is the prince of this world. He's ruling over this world Ultimately, God is sovereign, and he controls everything, and he is at work for uh, his glory and our good. He's working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, Romans 8.28. But we struggle 
We, we experience struggles and trials because we live in a fallen and broken world. I mean, I remember saying that at your dad's funeral mm-hmm. because I don't believe it's God's plan or God's best for us or for anybody that Kevin was taken early. I believe it's one of the unfortunate side effects, one of the unfortunate realities we're stuck with because we live in this broken and fallen world. Um, so anyways, I don't know if you have anything to add to that in light of the story and then really like hopefully the lesson we can draw from the story because that's really what we're... Yeah, um, I think more than anything, when I think back on that experience, I I really we really just did have a complete faith that it it was going to all work out and that it I, I guess we just had a complete faith in God's goodness. We we recognized that Charlotte didn't come early to teach us a lesson or now did we learn lessons through that experience? Absolutely. But God didn't make my water break to deliver our daughter early to teach us a lesson or to punish us for something that we had done. We just recognized God's goodness. And honestly, and I feel like I can say this now after having lost my dad, but I don't even know that I can say it without crying. But if Charlotte had ended up in the arms of Jesus at the end of that experience, he still would have been good. And I I don't know that I could say that before my dad died because, of course, I have a perfect three-and-a-half-year-old daughter, that so I can say that. But, you know, my dad is currently in the arms of Jesus, and I, I just know through that experience that God is still good, that he is still sovereign, that and that this world that we're living in now was not the world that he created um, when, when he set out to create it. Sin entered, and... and hard things right. entered with it. And, and with sin, ramifications, consequences. And uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's worth posing the question of, you know, what is your worldview on these things? What is your perspective? And I think as you read the Bible, you will find uh, specifically the New Testament that God, that Jesus, as he ministered to people, his heart was for people. His heart was for their restoration. There's the story of the um, the man born blind, and the disciples say, Jesus, who sinned that this man uh, was born blind? Surely someone, he's paying for someone's mm-hmm. transgressions, was really the, the message here. And Jesus said, no one has sinned. This happened that I might be glorified in this moment. And I think it's just this reminder that... And, and also, to put that in context... Um, the Old Testament was a bilateral treaty between God and his people, and this is kind of going, you know, 50,000-foot view here or whatever, but I want you to understand that the Old Testament was a bilateral treaty between God and the Israelite people. That is the context that you need to read the Old Testament with. And so in the Old Testament, things happened, and someone had to pay for those things. Like, that was the deal. That was the agreement. God set up the commandments, and then when you failed them, you had to atone for those sins. Jesus fulfilled all that. So the atonement for sins for us is done once and for all. So anytime someone wants to make the case or the argument that um, things happen because we need to pay for a transgression that we had, they don't know what testament we're living in. Yeah. Because we are living in the New Testament where Christ has atoned for all those things. And so I know that kind of gets a little like super spiritual 
but that's okay. I'm a pastor. I'm not going to apologize for getting super spiritual. <laughs> like that is, it's important for you as a Christian to understand and to really know what is it that I believe about God and his heart for me and his, what is goodness? Is he good? What is my expectation? Because if my expectation is one thing and my results are another, I'm going to end up living in that frustration. But if I can get my expectations biblically accurate, if I can get my expectations accurate to what the Bible says, then I'll ex- when the results happen, I'll know why some things happen, why other things don't happen, and I won't live in a frustration. I'll live. I'll, con- I'll continue to pursue, because see, if our expectation of who God was was off, and we deemed the scenario we went through with Charlie as a punishment from God or a message from God or anything from God then we would have lived really in fear. We would have lived in this fear of like, what am I doing wrong? I likened it on that, uh, in a recent conversation, I likened it to this idea of, let's just take finances. It's a really easy thing we can pick on here. But like, if you believe I better tithe this week, I better give 10% of my income to the church this week, or I will have a financial collapse next week, if that's your mentality, you really don't understand the heart behind tithing, mm-hmm. one. And two, that's not really how it works. Right. Because you wouldn't say, I don't say, I better tithe this week because now I get a huge blessing, right? Like if, right. if you're going to believe I better tithe or else, well, the inverse would be true. I better tithe so that yeah. I can experience yeah. a huge blessing. That has not, Neither of those things have anything to do with the reality of tithing. The reality of tithing is... Where's your heart at? Do you trust God to to supply your needs with 90% of what you've been blessed to make? Do you trust God? And will you pour into and sow into the things that that he's asked you to do? That's a tangent. That's free, no charge. But that's just an example of, of how we have to get our expectations right so that we're not frustrated by our results. And we have to... Um, we really have to understand this. It's not this cause and effect type thing necessarily. It's more what is our belief about God in the different things we encounter, and then uh, just will it will the things we go through cause us to draw closer to Him? That's really what we're after. Yeah, um, you say here, but it's so good, and I think of it even. Even in relation to our kids, you know, I said to one of them the other day, they asked me something. I think it was something they wanted me to do, and I had said, yes, but I have to do this first or something. And then they followed up with, well, we are going to do that, right? And I said, have I ever said that I'm going to do something and then not done it? And they said, no. And so, and that, that was just reassuring or giving them that confidence that, the words I say are the words that I mean, and I mean it. And you say here, I believe it's hard to have a true confidence in a God that is unpredictable, a God who seems to be for us unless he decides he isn't for us and wants to hurt us. I understand this is a big topic, but where you land on this topic truly determines where you land on your journey, on your pilgrimage as a Christian. If you do not believe in his ultimate goodness, you will not believe that journeying well is really an option. You will believe that you are handed a journey and you have no role to play, but the Bible paints a very different picture and I think that's so good and where a lot of people can get hung up is if is if you believe that bad things happen because of 
a punishment or because you need to learn a lesson or something like that, it makes God unpredictable to you. And then you don't know where you stand with him, essentially, you know, how and how to go from there. Whereas if you believe the ultimate truth that God is good, that he's the author and perfecter of our faith, then you at least, at the very least, you have that rock to stand on, right? And no right. matter what the trial is or the situation is that you're in. Right, exactly. Yeah, and I think that ultimately, um, how can you have faith in a God that you don't know where where he's going to be on any given day? Right. Or what he's going to feel or what his mood is going to be? That's just not... Is he the loving God today or the wrathful God today? Right. You know. Right. And that's why I say people say, well, but yes, but the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're right. He is. He is. But how he interacted with his people in the Old Testament and how he interacts with his people in the New Testament are different. We live in different realities. That doesn't mean he changed. The realities we human beings live in changed. Why, you ask? Well, a man named Jesus. Mm -hmm. A man named Jesus showed up over 2,000 years ago and flipped everything over. He actually flipped everything over in one of the stories of Jesus and the money table, Jesus and the money changers <laughs> in the temple. But he literally completely shifted the paradigm and and made a way for us to have direct communication with God. It was no longer through uh, holy men known as priests, right? It was no longer through uh, sacrifice, animal sacrifice. He was the perfect sacrifice, and he made a way for us to have direct relationship and conversation. And so, yeah, it's just so important that you understand uh, the difference, and uh, that's it's a good thing. Like it's not it's not a good thing. It's a great thing that it's different. We live in what Paul Young calls the wastefulness of grace, mm. right? And it's so true because none of us deserve the amount of grace that we live in. Like we literally, like. God has so much grace, it's wasteful almost. That's not to say he's wasteful, but it's just to say that... The, just to put it in perspective. Yes, yeah. like it's just an amount of grace we can't even fathom with yeah. our human minds, and it's it's amazing. So anyways, that is the idea behind Closing the Gap. My hope for you, as we have studied all of these things, we've talked about God and his sovereignty. He absolutely is sovereign, strong over all. I don't want to discount that. That's not what... We, I'm saying it all, or what we're saying it all in this chapter, he is sovereign over all, but we live in a world where the choices of men, and frankly, the choices of angels, as John Eldridge says, we live in a world where the choices of men and angels matter, okay? Mm -hmm. And it's just true. It is. Lucifer made choices, and those choices mattered. Uh, men throughout the Bible have made choices, and those choices mattered. The, God has given us free will and the choices we make in that free will do have consequences. Some of them great consequences, and some of them not great consequences. So that being said, uh, he is sovereign strong overall, but he desires personal relationship with each and every one of us. And he desires that as we grow in that personal relationship, the boundaries of our role in his kingdom will expand, right? That's what we talked about in chapter 2. I said to somebody today, I love, I love, love, love how Andy Stanley uh, proposes this idea of how much sin can I do and still be saved? And he's like, really what you're asking is 
how far can I get from God and still maintain communication? Mm-hmm. And that's not what we're talking about. When we're talking about pursuing boundaries, growing the boundaries, and growing the relationship with Jesus, it's not how much can I get away with, right? That was that is never how you would want to approach your marriage and actually expect it to right. be to be uh, successful, right? Um, any quality relationship, it's never about what can I get away with. It's about how invested can I be, how much can I pour into it, how much can I be engaged. Uh, to do my part that this relationship would grow and prosper, right? That is the mentality that we need to be taking into our relationship with Christ and into, um, you know, as the book of John says, as we abide in Christ and Christ abides in the Father. Um, So he is sovereign strong overall. He wants to grow our boundaries. He has a finished product in mind for our lives. He desires that we would journey well, that we would offer hope and encouragement to others. Um, He wants to replace these shallow and selfish desires that we have. uh, And this whole idea of what about me? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about our preferences. It is absolutely about giving glory to Jesus, to operating in his church, to bringing, uh, just bringing what we do have, which is our everyday ordinary life, to the table and letting him mold and shape it and and do whatever work he wants to out of it. And then lastly, this idea of closing the gap, getting our expectation of who God is right, so then when, when we live in the results of our everyday ordinary life, we don't have a level of frustration, but we have this this true, passionate belief of his deep goodness over our lives and those around us and those that we love. That is the concept of bring it, this confidence in the one who created confidence all in a nutshell. That's that's pay dirt right there. If you've been listening along for the last six weeks, that is um, really, that. that's my hope, is that you understand those things better than you did at the beginning of this summer, if you've been listening along all summer. And um, yeah, and that you just would know that he is totally for you. So uh, any other thoughts, babe, as we wrap this thing up? Any crazy Charlie stories that you want to tell? Um, <laughs> she is going to be four in December. She runs this house. We call her Chuck John. Her name is Charlotte Joanne. And um, Yeah, I mean, I think more than anything, we both have, we decided really when she was still a tiny little thing in the NICU that that will always be a part of Charlotte's story. That was her beginning, but it would never be the biggest part of her story. And I mean, my word for her is capable because there isn't a more capable person in this, in this house than Charlotte Joanne. And I just have loved every day of the last three and a half years watching her be the most capable, independent little missy ever. Yep. And she, um, she potty trained herself. Yeah. She really did. Yeah. Um, she, can she, get dressed she gets than dressed any of faster than all of her brothers put together. Put together. Um, yeah, she's smart as a whip. She takes care of August. I mean, I come down and, mommy, I, I found his binky and I gave him this toy and I'm playing with him and um, so and she's just been a constant reminder to me of God's grace and His faithfulness and the miracle that is her life. Yeah, so dads, pro tip, real quick. Every night, probably for, I don't know, at least a year. I, I, I really have no way of tracking this. Maybe 18 months. Every night when I put her to bed, I don't put her to bed every night, but right. every night that I put her to bed, I pray with her, 
Dear Jesus, thank you for my sissy girl. Please help her to grow up to love you and to love one boy, to always know her worth, and to never question her calling. And thank you for the miracle that she is. Mm. You do what you want with that, dads, but I'm telling you what, I'm praying it over her. I'm believing it over her that um, she's going to uh, always know her worth and she's never going to question her calling. And I'm praying against any of uh, any of life's heartaches that try to get on young girls in 2020 and beyond. Um, I'm just believing that she's going to be set apart uh, and we're praying it into her. So anyways, I hope this has blessed you. Uh, thanks again for listening along. The conclusion of this book I titled, what would you do? No, what will you do? The intro is what would you do? And I propose this idea of what would you do if God told you to write a whole second book after you wrote your first book, but the conclusion is what will you do? So what will you do? Will you spend time getting these truths inside you? Will you spend time, um, you know, just just working to grow in this confidence that is only available from the one who created confidence? So um, I'll leave you with that. I appreciate you listening. This has been really good, and I'm excited for what the fall has in store for this podcast. We're going to keep things rolling, uh, have some good stuff in the works, and so Stay tuned. More to come. I hope you've had an awesome summer, and thanks for listening to the Quintessential Ministry Podcast, the Bring It Summer Series.